0: Well, I've shared with some of you how my house is kind of like the story of your parents when they would go to school. When I had to mow the lawn, I would have to walk uphill both ways. It seems like there is no going downhill. And all I had was a push mower until a little over a year ago when one of my neighbors stopped me in the middle of mowing and said, is that your mower? I'm like, yeah. And he just kind of shook his head. And he said, I've got a mower uh, that I'm not going to use anymore, and if you want it, I'll sell it to you. And I'm like, fantastic. And I bought it, and it was phenomenal. It was great. One of the best purchases of my life. He practically gave it to me. I no longer had to walk uphill both ways in 187-degree heat index, uh, which is what it felt like. And everything was great until a couple weeks ago. Right as I was getting to the crest of one of the hills in my yard, the tractor just stopped. Now I know what you're thinking, and yes, I checked to see if there was still gas. <laughs> and there was. And the mower just turned off. I'm like, that's not good. Now I'm not a mechanic. I know. Shocking. Uh, but I'm like, maybe if I just try to restart it, it'll fire back up. Maybe it just overheated. I cranked, and there wasn't even the noise of, like, an engine starting to crank or a battery or anything. It was just dead silence, which, again, I'm not a mechanic, but I don't think is good. <laughs> and my yard is, is half mowed at this point, and my tractor has to be pushed uphill. And I head to the front door to get Brooke to come out and help me push my my lawnmower up the hill, and I'm like, that's just not going to look good for anybody that drives by. (laughs) That was my thought, is I'm really worried how it's going to look if anybody drives by. What it's going to look like is I'm making my wife help me push a tractor up a hill. So I put it in neutral, and I got behind the tractor, and I gave it a heave, and it like came back a little bit and I'm like, Mm-mm, not today." And I probably took three years off my life, but I gave it another heave, and it started, it started moving. And just at that time, I heard from behind me a voice that said, "Hey," and I'm thinking, "Not now." But I can't ignore it, because there's obviously nobody else in the lawn." And I said, "Yeah." He said, do you need some help with that? And my first thought was to say, no, I'm good. What is wrong with me? I don't know. I don't know what kind of superhero complex. If you're a psychologist, we could spend hours on your couch, I am sure. But here I am trying to push my mower up, and by the grace of God, I said, that'd be great. And he hopped out of his car, and he came, and he helped me push my tractor up to the garage And now it sits in the garage as a reminder of the luxuries that I once had in this decrepit old tractor that around once a week I'll go sit on. Make sure that the blade is off and my foot's in all the way on the brake and that there's still some gas in the gas tank. And I will turn the key as though the Lord is going to bless that And it's going to start. And it has not. And then I go to the shed, defeated. and I get out the push mower. And I refine the stories that I will tell my grandchildren of my suffering, of mowing the lawn in Wisconsin heat that felt hotter than Arizona. It's amazing how we come to Expect the things that we acquire. It's amazing how we lose sight sometimes of the blessing that they are. And it's amazing sometimes how the very things we acquire begin to take up our focus and our time and our energy. This morning, if you're rich, we're talking to you about the way God wants you to live your life. Some of you are thinking, yes, I can just sit back and relax. I don't have to worry about anything in this one. And if you're poor, I just want to let you know, today we're talking about the way God wants you to live your life so you're not off the hook. But James, in James 5, and if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us there in the Bible app if you're streaming from home. Thanks for joining us this morning. The verses will be available on the screen below. James is going to talk to a couple different crowds of people within the church. Because even in the earliest church, there were people who were wealthy, and there were people who were poor. And the message that James has for them is a little different, and yet there's a message for everyone of the life that God expects that we're going to see this morning as we continue our look through the book of James, in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, where we read these words. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now what we're going to see today is when wealth is wrong. Not that wealth is wrong, but we're going to see when wealth is wrong. And this is a message for those who have the money. And James says, what's coming is not good. But he's going to go on and give us a little bit of context for this because people have misunderstood and they've thought that that wealth is evil in and of itself. They think of what Jesus said about a camel going through the eye of a needle. And they misinterpret the message behind that parable. They misinterpret the message that Jesus was trying to communicate. And so some people arrive at a theology that says... Any wealth is evil and it's wrong. And what that leads to is somebody else comparing what they have against somebody else. And if you're not careful and that becomes your theology, then anybody who has more than you is guilty of sin in your mind because they are wealthy. And you worry about their soul a little bit because of the message of Jesus. So we've got to be very careful to understand that nowhere in Scripture is wealth in and of itself condemned. And we're going to talk about that some this morning. But we also have to be very clear about something, that throughout Scripture are very clear warnings that wealth very easily can corrupt, and wealth very easily can get us sidetracked and get us in a lot of trouble. And this morning, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see when wealth is wrong. And the message of James for those who happen to be wealthy is this: what's coming is not good and it is not promising. And why is that the case? Well, he gives us some more context in James 5, 2, and 3 when he writes this. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure In the last days. Wow. This message of James is that your wealth is going to be rotted and ruined. It's going to corrode. And your wealth is going to consume you. And if we're not careful, how often do we see this play out in our lives, the lives of our family, the lives of our friends, the lives of people that we know? That what was once something that we yearned after and sought after and desperately worked towards, which was once a crowning achievement, I remember the very first HD TV I bought. The year was 2007. See, I remember it. I remember it. It was still a relatively new technology. And I saved and I saved and I saved. And I was finally able to afford an $800 40 inch HD TV. $800 for a 40 inch TV. You can get that TV now for about 200 bucks, and it's much better quality. It's a lot slimmer, it weighs a lot less, and the model that I bought is almost extinct. I remember in college, my most prized possession, it was not my car. I've, I've never been a car guy. Uh, it wasn't my car. I had a, I called it Platinum. It really was periwinkle. I had a periwinkle Honda Civic. And some of you are thinking, well, now we know why you've never been a car guy, because you never had a car. But I had I had a, a platinum Honda Civic and, and it was fine. It was reliable. It was my car. But my prized possession was my PlayStation 2. It was great. I will never forget my senior year of high school when when I got that for Christmas. And it was the hottest, it was the hottest item on the market. It was great. It was fantastic. And now you look at the graphics of a PlayStation 2 and you're like, oh, all right, that's nice. Some of you are laughing because you're like HD TVs, <laughs> PlayStations. I remember the first black and white television set we ever brought into the house. And the excitement of that technology, <laughs> right? <laughs> and what happens? Something new comes along something better comes along. And what we save for and what we're so excited about and what was once a pinnacle of achievement becomes garbage. It becomes junk. And if we place our significance in who we are as individuals, and if we place our significance in what we acquire says about us, we're setting ourselves up for a disaster course. Because the shiniest thing you buy, the newest and the best thing that you can purchase eventually will be rotted, or ruined, or corroded, or the quest to keep it the best will consume you. And wealth becomes wrong when it becomes our hope and it becomes our focus. When we place our hope and our focus in our wealth, we're setting ourselves up for a miserable experience. And so the question that all of us who follow Jesus have to answer, whether we think we're wealthy or we don't think we're wealthy, and and I'm just going to say this, the very fact that we live in America means on the global poverty scale that every single one of us is wealthy. Every single one of us is wealthy on the global poverty scale and we can't we can't interpret scripture as though it's just written to an American audience in an American context. So understand when you look at the global economy, the very fact that you live in America, even if you're on government assistance and never make it above government assistance, still puts you in the top 60 to 70 percentile of global wealth. It's fascinating. And so the question that all of us must answer today is, what are we invested in? What are we invested in? Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 6, 21, where he said this, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And the question that all of us must grapple with this morning is, what are we invested in? Because where our money is, that's where our heart is. And if you want to know what's important to you, if you want to know what really matters in your life, check your bank statement. Check your credit card bill. That reveals where our heart is. And that's not me saying that. Those are the words of Jesus. And when wealth is wrong, something else happens. And James goes on to describe that as well. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. He says, you stole You stole from others. And now we look at this and and we're like, oh, how could you do that? How dare you? And yet we have to ask ourselves, is the same thing true of us? This week on a text thread that I have with a few friends, we got in a massively long conversation. And there's four of us on the text thread, and we all four have very different perspectives of this. And the question that we had to, that we were grappling with, is is a very important question in our day and age. And that is this Should you tip on to go orders? (laughs) Should you tip on to go orders? Now, some in the chat were saying absolutely. Others in the chat were like, Why should I tip somebody to throw my food in a to go box and carry it from the kitchen out to me? There was a conversation of what happens when it's curbside. Somebody threw in, "What about buffets?" And then we just laughed and said, "Yeah, buffets don't exist anymore." Uh, so, you know, but there was there was that conversation of of what should you do when you tip when you go for a to go order. And I've got to tell you, as a result of this conversation and a debate, I got no clue. I have no no idea what to tell you. I have no clue what to tell you. I would tell you just be generous. It's, it's never wrong to err on the side of generosity. But the question is, when we look at this idea of stealing from labors and holding back, are there areas in our lives where we're doing the same? Are we people who, who stiff the waiter or the waitress? Are we people who take advantage of people that we hire out to do projects? We would look at our lives, and I, vow, I, I doubt very very many of us would say, well, I can't wait to defraud somebody. It's going to be great. I'm going to start a Ponzi scheme. I'm going to steal all their money, and it's, you know, it's going to be awesome. I doubt, I doubt very many of us would, would go forward and do that. And yet I wonder, are there areas in our lives where this mentality, the very thing that James is rebuking them for, has crept into our lives? And ways we look at just trying to shortcut other people with the resources we have in situations that we should be more generous Luxury and self-indulgence leads to a path, as was true in the early church, that is oftentimes very true, where people will destroy themselves. Because what happens for a lot of people is when they don't have money, they say, when I have it, I'm going to be happy. When I have it, I'm going to be fulfilled. When I'm rich, I'll be generous. And yet study after study after study reveals just the opposite is true. That the wealthiest are amongst the least generous. And that the idea and the thought process is, well, when I become rich, I will be satisfied, never proves to be true. And that there's always the quest and the desire for one more trade, one more acquisition, one more accolade. One more, one more, one more. And time after time after time, and situation after situation after situation, it leads to people being absolutely miserable. We see that play out for us on a weekly basis with our celebrity culture and the lives in which they live and the lack of joy and fulfillment and peace that are present in their lives. Because the truth is, money will never provide those things. How many super rich people are ultimately happy? And Then he goes on in verse 6. He writes, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And this is a contrast. He contrasts the lifestyle with the righteous who they trampled over. Now remember earlier in James, in, in James chapter 2, there was this tension discussed amongst showing favoritism to people, amongst showing, show, showing preference to people who were rich based on the fact that they had money, in spite of the fact that the people who had money were treating the people who were poor in horrendous ways. There's an, that's what's crazy about this, is there's an appeal. There's an appeal to us about people who have money, even if they mistreat others. It's fascinating. But now, now we're going to be told how to live if we're poor. And James tells us this in, James, 7 in the start, James 5, 7 in the start of verse 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. If you feel like this is unfair, James writes, if you're poor and you feel like it's unfair, you look how everybody else is living their lives and you look all around you, you've been taken advantage of. Other people have not been honest with you. They've not given you what is owed to you. They've taken advantage of you. If you feel like none of this is fair, if you feel like life is unfair, it, it is. What's James say? Be patient. Be patient. I know some some of you are barely holding on. Pandemic's been incredibly difficult for your business. It's been incredibly difficult for your job. There have been hours cut back. There have been changes that you've had to make as a result of child care. There have been all kinds of issues in in your life, and and you're just wondering when when are things going to get back to normal? Will they ever get back to normal? What's this going to look like? Am I ever going to be able to get ahead? How's this going to work out? And I just want to encourage you with the encouragement of James, be patient. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. There's a God who loves you. He hears your prayers. He hears you crying out. He will continue to sustain your needs. He will meet every need that you have. Be patient. But what do we do in the waiting? Cuz as the great theologian Tom Petty wrote, waiting is the hardest part. And it's true. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So while you live in this difficulty, while you live in this uncertainty, while you live in this tension of not having enough and not being sure of what's to come, while you find yourself there, what do you do? James answers that question. First is focus on God. Focus on God. Not your surroundings, not your desire. Focus on God. Make Him your focus. And then the next step is don't fight each other. Don't fight each other. Let me draw an analogy for you. Some of you struggle with something And it's very predictable that it's going to happen to you, and yet it happens over and over and over again. Everyone that's in your vicinity and everyone that's in your family knows that you struggle with this. You struggle with anger. You reach that point where you've not eaten, and now you're just angry. And it doesn't matter who's around you, you're angry at them. It doesn't matter what's going on, you're angry All because you need to eat. And what happens when you get hangry is what do you focus on? Food. That's all that matters is you need to eat. And until you eat, there will not be peace in the world. And everybody who's around you knows that. Snickers made an entire ad campaign off this idea. They made an entire ad campaign off the idea of hanger because hanger is real. And everybody who suffered from hanger or lived with somebody who suffers from hanger understands that when somebody's suffering with hanger, the worst thing you can do is either tell them to be patient or talk to them about food because they are well aware of the fact that they have not eaten. And if you talk to them about patience, all that they're going to bring it back to is around the fact that they need to eat. And some of you are living life hangry. Not because you haven't eaten, but because you're in this time that God has called for patience. And all you can focus on is what you don't have. And your response to that is because your focus is on everything you don't have, you lash out at everyone else. And God has said, I see you. I'll meet your needs. And in this time, What you need to do is you need to focus on me. And you need to not fight one another. And maybe there's somebody you need to go to and ask for their forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody you need to go to and apologize to because you lashed out. Because you were frustrated. And you thought it was because of that situation, but truth be told, it was something entirely unrelated. But you just find yourself in the midst of uncertainty and not knowing what's next. And it's affecting you and it's impacting you. And the message of God is what you need to do in this time is to focus on Him and not fight one another. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, just to remind you, the story of Job from the Old Testament. Job was the wealthiest man in the part of his, in the part of his earth, in the part of the world that he lived, who also loved God just yet further proof that it is not evil or sinful or inherently wrong for somebody to have a lot of money. He's the wealthiest person in the part of the earth in which he lived, and he had a heart that was sold out for God. Yet, the curtain's pulled back for us in a place that seldom is elsewhere in Scripture. And Satan approaches God about Job, and says, well, of course, God, he loves you. Of course he follows you. He's the wealthiest person in the world, and you've blessed him. Of course he's going to follow you and love you, and that's not an accomplishment. Let me get my hands on him. And for some reason, God allows it. Job had ten kids. He owned thousands of cattle and had numerous servants. He had massive amounts of land. And one day, his land was attacked. All of his cattle were stolen. With a few exceptions, all of his servants were slaughtered. And a messenger comes and tells Job that all his cattle had been stolen. A messenger comes and tells Job all of his servants have been killed. And then a messenger comes and tells Job that his ten kids were all at a party in one of their homes. And there was a windstorm. And the house collapsed. And they all died. And that's chapter 1. Of Job. There are 42 chapters. That's chapter 1 of Job. Job would develop sores all over his body. His wife would encourage him to curse God. And then the world's worst friends show up and say, you must have done something wrong. You must have angered God. You must deserve all of this. This is the example that James gives us. In the story of Job, God shows up and he asks questions. Nobody can answer. And then he blesses Job. He blesses Job in even greater ways than before. He gives him more cattle. He gives him more money. He gives, them two, he gives them 10 new kids. Some of you right now are in the midst of the hardest stretch of your life you've ever experienced. And you wonder how you're going to make it. You wonder if God's good and if He's loving. Where is He? And what's He doing? And the message of James is right now in your suffering, you be steadfast. You be steadfast. And you might think to yourself, well, why do I have to suffer? Well, the theological answer for that is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that sin has corrupted everything, it's the reason that there's suffering. It's the reason that there's decay. It's the reason that there's death. I know the theological answer doesn't comfort you. And as your pastor, I would just tell you that this season isn't going to be easy. And there's nothing I can say or do that's going to make it easy for you. But The message of God to you so be patient and remain steadfast. Be patient and remain steadfast. And the same God who walked with Job through more loss and heartache than any of us could comprehend is walking with you. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, this seems a little out of place to me. This seems, it seems weird a little bit. Like, out of nowhere, it is just like, if you're rich, here's the life that God expects for you, and if you're poor, here's the life that God expects for you, and ADHD kicks in, and he's like, by the way, just don't swear about anything. Just say yes and say no. It seems out of place a little bit. Like, what is is going on here? Until we remember the issue we just spoke about a few verses ago. What is the source for some of this hardship? What's the source for some of these people? Were poor in a tough season of life. The fact that they've been taken advantage of. The fact that they were promised a wage. and weren't paid it. And so here's the challenge for us as people who follow Jesus. We need to live our lives in such a way that what we say can be taken to the bank. That we are people of integrity in every action, in every transaction. And it's not our goal to take advantage of people, it's not our goal to to try to get one over on anybody else. I'm not saying you shouldn't look for a good deal when you're conducting business. Absolutely you should look for a good deal. That's just being a good steward. But you should never confuse being a good steward with taking advantage of people. And following Jesus calls us to a higher standard of living. And it's people who follow Him. Whether we have much or we have little. The integrity with which we live our lives should be unchanged. The life God wants for you if you're wealthy is a life with your heart being solely after Him. And you see the blessing for what it is. A blessing, but you remember that even the greatest possession is going to grow old. That Even the new shiny thing will one day be corroded. And if you're poor, the message that God has for you is that He is enough. That He is enough. And your focus needs to be on Him. And not what He could bless you with or what He could give you, but your focus needs to be on following after God. Not lashing out at everybody around you because they may have more or because they don't understand the plight you're in. To Stop the comparison game. And regardless of where we fall in the equation, that we live our lives in ways that no one has to question what we say because we are people of integrity. We'll do what we say we will do and live according to the way God has called us to live. That's the challenge for us, whether we're wealthy or we're poor. That we live in ways that honor and please God. God, I pray that we would just do that this week, that we'd honor you with our lives, that our hope would not be in our wealth, that our hope would not be in what we've acquired, but God, our hope be squarely in you. I pray, God, that we wouldn't be focused on what we don't have and play the comparison game of what we have versus what somebody else has and allow that to go places in our hearts and in our minds that it should never go and start to question their motives and start to question their love for you and start to question what's right and wrong for them. But God, in the areas we don't have what we want, I pray that our focus would remain on you. That we would be patient. we would be steadfast. That we wouldn't chase after everything that glitters. But God, we'd realize you are enough. Help us be people of integrity. Do what we say. And help us point people to you in the process. That first step being how we live our lives. Because the world is watching. While they may not understand our message, they will understand how we conduct ourselves. So God, give us the patience that we need. Give us the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Let us impact our world, we ask for your glory. In your son Jesus' name we do pray, amen.